The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and scrum.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and in today's episode, you hear from Kiera Fenderson. She is the CEO of The Ambition Studio, a professional coaching firm on a mission to end the burnout epidemic among leaders and entrepreneurs. As a certified coach, professional speaker, and leadership trainer, Kiera has supported the transformation of leaders across multiple industries that include Emmy Award-winning entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, and U.S. military officers. I really enjoyed this conversation with Kiera. She is featured as the keynote speaker at the Women in Agile 2022 event in Nashville, Tennessee this year as part of the Agile 2022 conference. And her talk about the interplay of ambition and intuition, how to get in touch with your intuitive hits and what it means to put aside the idea of blind ambition is really useful for all of us as modern day knowledge workers. There were countless opportunities for me to call forward different agile values and principles and relate how the practical advice she's giving us can serve us as agilists. I truly hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Kira, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. This episode is going to be a treat because um, for those people that aren't able to join at the Women in Agile 2022 conference in Nashville, along with the Agile 2022 conference, um, they're going to get to soak up all of your wisdom and more importantly, I think, soak up all of your joy because that is just something you bring in spades. So I'm really excited for our listeners today. Yeah, me too. I mean, I could talk about this topic forever, so we'll just have to be very cognizant of time. But yes, I am so thrilled that I get to expand upon upon this. Yes. So you're... The theme for the Women in Agile 2022 event in Nashville is reunite. And reunite means a lot of different things to us. Um, and your work is all in the space of you know, helping people, specifically women, right, connect with their full human nature and bring intuition to guide them as professionals. Mm -hmm. So before we unpack that and all of the the great things about it, I just want people to hear a little bit about you, your background, and more importantly, how you secretly found out you were an agilist and didn't really know it. (laughs) So what's the short version of that story? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I always knew I was ambitious. I will tell you that. And that ambition was fueled since I was a child. So when I got into my corporate career and I had my grand ambitions of being promoted before I was 30 and having all these huge wins, I remember I was at a company and um, this actually was a company where I was I became a director before I was 30 years old, which was a huge goal for me. And as a part of being that director, we were looking at different ways to market and different ways to meet our members where they were. And our VP said, hey, just stumbled upon this design thinking thing. And she introduces it to us and I fall in love. And I'm like, where did you find this, this tool, this practice, this methodology? And so that was back when they had meetups. I mean, they still have meetups now, but meetups were like the thing, the thing, the thing, right? And this was before I was a mom. So I had evenings available and I would go to these design thinking meetups and it was amazing. I mean, we had the coolest prompts and the coolest activities. And it was like this creative outlet for me that wasn't focused on, Uh, trying to hit a particular marketing goal or trying to bring in a certain amount of members. And I remember they had a competition in the summertime and it was called the Design Thinking Summer Challenge. And we were going to partner with an organization in Washington, D.C. and solve a problem for them using design thinking. And I was like, well, let's give it a shot. And so they randomly put together a team of people. There were six different teams and we were working with a D.C. ward um, and we designed a playbook it's very political. I won't go down into the details, but let's just say we knocked the socks off of them and we won first place, right? Excellent. Yes, right. So I still have that picture. It's a funny, funny picture. 
Because um, I remember seeing myself very professional and stiff in corporate, but then just had, I just won this design thinking challenge, which was really weird for me because, you know, design thinking was, it's all about agility and human centered approach. But yet I was still very rigid and, and trying to fit into this perfect box and be this high achiever. I didn't realize at the time that they were two separate ways of being until I became a coach. And then until I started to prepare for the conference and I was like, wait a minute, I, wait, I'm an agilist too. <laughs> and, and I really fell in love with the human centered approach. And once yeah. I realized that there was um, a space for working with humans and humanity and having that, uh, that ability to be creative and experimental and just heart centered, I think that's what really kicked everything off for me. Yeah. And I think there's three of the agile principles that are, are just burning in me when I listen to you talk, right? The very first one, right? Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. Yeah. How through the early and continuous delivery of value. But it really is, right, that highest priority to satisfy the customer. Who are the people that get that done, right? We build teams around motivated individuals, and then we get the, give them everything that they need in order to self-manage and, and, and achieve all of that. And then that last one, right, like at re regular intervals, we stop to reflect and make transparent how things are going and then choose to adapt our behavior in order to, you know, just make the world a better place for ourselves and for our customers. And mm -hmm. you, you tapping into that human element and the human centered aspect of what agility really is about. Like, I, I think it's still so important in the conversation about where we are with agile today is that um, so many people out there take an industrialized mindset still of agile is a methodology and a set of practices that if you, Take those and implement them in your organization. You will get all the benefits. But absent that human-centered approach in creating the environment where modern knowledge workers can thrive, yeah. like you have yeah. blind ambition for what Agile can bring you. <laughs> Agile yeah. is inherently an intuitive and <sighs> inspect and adapt, sense and respond philosophy for how humans work together. Um, oh it is God. not a prescriptive, rigid process for how to satisfy your customers. So it's just, yes, all those things. <laughs> all those things. All those things. And it made me think back to, you know, how did I find the Ambition Studio? How did I get to where I am? It's because I burned out so many times. Yeah. And every single time I took a pause to look at well, what needs to change, I looked at the outside. I said, it's the job. It's the boss. And I never took a moment to look at who I was as a human yeah. and what I needed to shift inside of me. Yeah. And so once I hit that breaking point and once I really started to do the work on myself and give myself the grace and the space to be flexible with who I was being, to be flexible with some of the things and the dreams that I had, that's when I was able to get the result that I wanted to have. Yeah. And so it's wild to me. It's so wild to me because I can picture that that proud picture with my team like, yeah, we won the design thinking contest. And I'm as stiff as a board, like as corporate as can be. Right. I really didn't embrace the the being of being agile. Yeah. 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 There's um a great just reflective inquiry for all of us in what is our own personal agility in this? How do we show up rigidly as an agilist? Yeah. And what cognitive dissonance comes from embodying agile in a rigid way? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's, there is a rigidity that is subconsciously thrust upon us as in this instance, you and I and many of our attendees um, at, at the summer conference, um, American or North American Western, yeah. I guess mm -hmm. we could call it, um, corporate employees in whatever sort of shape that may take. And what it means to be corporate and be a professional and show up and getting on uh, the career trajectory escalator that only kind of has one destination and gets yeah. us that sort of rigid structure. Um, I'm especially curious to 
get your perspective on as you experience all of that, what have you observed about the role of like gender differences and how you know, cisgendered men maybe yeah. approach that job escalator differently mm-hmm. than people who are not cisgendered men? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, let's break this down. So first and foremost, ambition has a masculine energy connected to it, right? It is Mm -hmm. ego-driven. It's fueled by what there is to do. It's very rigid. And when you look at women's power, we're very intuitive beings. Yet there isn't a lot of space in the professional environment for intuition, at least for a woman's intuition. There's a lot of risk associated with it, right? We already have to worry about like, okay, we're going up the escalator. God forbid we want to have a family, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to get pushed off that escalator. God forbid we have to be a caretaker for a family member or someone else, right? So there's already those challenges on the escalator, but there's also a biases where a man could be in a, in a executive meeting and say, you know what, Tim, I got a feeling we should just go ahead and bump that up two notches. Oh yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Let's believe them with no data. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to rationalize it. But for a woman to do that, Oh my gosh, you need to have data out the wazoo. Yeah. While we're the ones who have the strongest intuition. And so that biases is already inherent to to question women, women's decision making, to even um, we personally have a, a challenge with our voice. So you'll hear that like when you're really intuitive, you make stronger decisions, but you trust your voice better. And so I think on both sides, it's important to to be able to strengthen your intuition personally so that when you are speaking out, it comes from a place of knowing it's how you deliver it. But then also as an organization, if you're a a team leader or you're an executive, be able to create space for intuition, be able to honor everyone's voice when they have that hunch and allow them to experiment more and and to build into the budget and build into the timelines spaces for an intuitive idea because that may be the thing that changes the entire trajectory of where the product is going. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many places I could go (laughs) with this. And it's so hard, um, Kiara, because this idea of creating the space for that experimentation with intuition, um, I think about right the accountabilities of product owner, like you want to have evidence and data because, mm-hmm. like, that supports the decisions that you make. Yeah. Um, because, like, as you choose a product goal and work with your teams to select sprint goals, like, you're spending real corporate dollars. You can't just willy nilly go with your intuition because right. you might, right. you know, blow one hundred fifty thousand dollars before you know it, mm-hmm. um, or one hundred fifty million dollars before you know it, depending on the scope of your organization. Um, how do you? get people to connect with, or dare I say, reunite mm-hmm. with their intuition. Because I think there's something in the same way that like everything is possible to us when we're children, we don't know any better. Right. Our intuition gets programmed out of us throughout the older we get. So yeah. how do we reconnect with that whole body thinking, which to me is a lot more intuitive yeah. What are the pointers you give people to just start exploring that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm a very practical teacher type of person. So during the conference, we were talking about all of these facets of like how to recognize your intuitive hits and what your relationship looks like. Um, the first thing that's most important is to be able to identify the difference between analysis paralysis and your intuition, right? That overthinking brain. Um, and, and then being able to Create space for the intuitive pit. So when I say create space, your intuition is not going to compete with your overthinking brain. It's just not. Because your intuition is quiet. It's calm. It's a whisper. So you actually have to create intuitive pauses, intentional mornings, pauses and meetings, pauses at your desk, right? Sometimes with sprints or we're moving so fast that we're going from one thing to the next. We're thinking of every single idea and we're not actually saying, I'm going to pause for two minutes to see if there's anything else. 
to get curious about what else could be coming in. And then when you get that hunch, and this is this is the reverse, because sometimes we'll do this thing where um, we'll collect the data to decide upon the next way to move. And I say, create the intuitive pause, then collect the data to prove the pause, correct or not, right? So the way you strengthen your intuition is to get the intuitive hit and then start to find evidence that proves it right. Because your intuition is a guide. And so then you need to be able to collect the evidence to say, okay, is this the way I should go? Should I let it breathe out a little bit more? Yeah. All right. I'm going to play skeptic here because I can yes, I'm like put myself in the chair of listener. We, if, if you are doing your good work as a human, you are caught, you're studying what bias is and all the different flavors of bias yeah. to try to get more aware of them so that you don't see like bias hijacking you yeah. for poor purposes confirmation bias is one of those ones that I'm aware of. So how do you not let confirmation bias get in the way when you're using this like purposeful pause, allow the intuition to happen, then seek evidence that helps validate the intuition? Like, aren't we just setting ourselves up to fall in the confirmation bias? I love that question. And that's so, um, That's a linear of you. <laughs> I totally Sorry. get it. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I completely get it, right? And and here's the thing. there, There's diversity of thought, right? So I'm a big um, proponent of co-creation and collaboration, mm-hmm. right? So if you keep yourself in your own little bubble, it depends on what the scenario is, right? Now, if it's something that's specific to you, you know, do I feel sick or not? And I'm trying to figure out, am I getting sick? I mean, no one can actually say, yeah, you are, you're not. But if it's a larger task, right, you have a team, go seek co-creation. I'm not saying to make the decision in a bubble by yourself at all, but I am saying to lead with the intuition first. Like, how? what's, what's the best way to explain it? I think if you take my words absolutely, it sounds like, oh, I have an intuitive hit. Okay, I'm going to go run and do that thing. And that's dangerous too, yeah. <laughs> right? Because sometimes it may not be your intuition. Sometimes it's your ego. Sometimes it's your fear. You know, you have to really be able to cultivate a stronger relationship with your intuition so you know. Yeah, the, and it reminds me of that part that you were telling in the story, which is I slowed down and did my own work. to cultivate my intuition. You just don't go into relying on intuition willy-nilly. You've got to have done your own work to slow down the way you make sense of the world around you to be able to distinguish between like, oh, which of those inner voices in me is this? Is this sort of like my ego? Is this my saboteur? Is this what whisper is that? Or sometimes it's sometimes the loud voice, you know, like where's the root of that and getting curious. And I think that's what that intentional pause really allows for. Right. Yeah. And what other signs have I experienced that has been nudging me towards this direction? Right. Mm. So they're the same thing. Like we said earlier, like this is not just a methodology that says, okay, your intuition looks like this by night and always follow it when it's this way. Yeah. Again, like I said, there's going to be, there's a lot of things that we talked about in the conference about how your specific intuition shows up. Your intuition can sort of show up in three different ways, and they could show up in all three ways, cognitively, kinesthetically, and experientially, right? So if you're experiencing a lot of cognitive hits, you're getting a lot of those aha light bulb moments. Maybe that's how I receive my intuitive hits, but maybe mm-hmm. you experience them experientially, right? You're driving down the street and, you know, you see a, a Nike truck that says, just do it. That's experientially, right? So Over time, and depending on the circumstance, you're going to have, number one, different ways that you're receiving these hits. You're also going to be hit over the head a bunch of times with the intuitive hits, nudging you towards direction. So you may have an intuitive hit and say, my gosh, this is the third time that thing has come up. Oh, really? Maybe you should pay attention, right? (laughs) There's some validation that comes from the repetition. But then also in the most, most important pieces, what is your relationship to your intuition? Because if you have a relationship to your intuition, that's like an acquaintance or even like an ex-lover, then you're not going to trust your intuition that much. But if your relationship with your intuition literally saved your life, where I had a client who said, literally, I was driving down the highway, 
something told me to pull over. I was like, no, I'm making really good time on this road trip. But it kept on saying, like, just pull over, just pull over. So she pulled over. And within minutes, an 18-wheeler truck came screaming by, lost control of its brakes, and crashed into the guardrail. And she goes, it literally saved my life. Don't you get chills when you hear that? And I'm just sitting there like, wow. She goes, yeah. I will never doubt my intuition ever again. And you know you have those hunches. You mm-hmm. know you always have those hunches. So it's really about practicing following the hunches. And then when it gets to a scenario where there's more things at risk, especially professionally, where you have a $150,000 budget on the line, maybe you wait and collect a little bit more evidence than if you were just pull over the side of the road. You can discern it. But it requires you to have a good relationship with your intuition because if she's just an uh, acquaintance that you see at the grocery store and you know she lives in your neighborhood but you don't know her name, how would you trust her? Yeah. No, I love I love those metaphors. That is, it's so useful to sort of think about like what is that relationship with your intuition? Why? Why is this important for not only creating the future of work we all dream of, but today's modern knowledge worker who's on this journey for what the the workforce of tomorrow is going to be like? I mean, because it's just as important as agility itself, right? We thought the pandemic was something. Wait till what we're getting ready to see. The world is changing drastically and quickly. And it is changing for us as human beings. And if we don't start paying attention to who we are being as humans, who we're flexible, we're intuitive, we're resilient. But if we don't start embracing those interpersonal skills, the future of the world is at risk. These corporations cannot continue to be rigid and to be so so, uh, uh, profit-hungry and so demanding and, and motivating by blind ambition alone. People are burning out. The great resignation is real. And what companies need most are resilient and agile workers. And the only way you're able to create that is by nurturing who you are as the human being. Like that empathy and that understanding and that collective consciousness, that's going to change the world, not some method or process. And so As leaders, and I relate to everyone as a leader because we're all leaders of our lives, the more we can embrace our innate skill, which is intuition. I mean, if we were out in the wild before civilization and everything else, like survival instincts would have kicked in. The more we can embrace that and teach it to our, our next generations, to our teams and model it, the more it's going to be contagious. Yeah. And the more we're going to have the ripple effect. Yeah. And there's something that really stood out to me in the way you described that, Kira, and that you talked about like organizations motivating with blind ambition. And then the fact that you had to caveat when you said leadership, that we are all leaders and leaders of ourselves, the blind ambition and that industrialized mindset that corporations of today use teach us, put us on an escalator that leadership only happens when you hit the third tier of your career or whatever it is versus leadership happens within all of us all of the time. It is not reserved for those that have power, privilege, and rank in our organizations. And that in and of itself is a carrots and sticks, blind ambition, motivation for today's modern knowledge worker. Oh my God, isn't it? And but but the gen what generation Z is rejecting that completely. Yeah. yeah. They're not having it. Which I'm so proud of them for not having, but I also mm-hmm. need them to embrace that if you're not having it, then you've got to really step step up to be a leader of your life. And in yeah. order to be a leader of your life, you need to do the inner work and know who you mm-hmm. are and knew, and know how you are being guided. Yeah. Yeah. The I realize you and I are able to just fall into a conversation and go all over the place. And I don't want to leave listeners behind on this idea of ambition versus intuition. Yeah. Because they're different, but I do think you have a philosophy on what intuitive ambition looks like. So it's not a intuition or ambition. It is a 
integrate and transcend to an intuitive ambition sort of land. So like, what is that for you? Oh my gosh. You said that so beautifully. I'm going to have to steal those words. I love it. (laughs) Hey, guess what? This is a podcast. It's being recorded. (laughs) Right. Oh, it's, oh my God. It's absolutely that, right? Because like I said, in the beginning of my career, highly ambitious, incredible goals, and I'm still ambitious as an entrepreneur. I'm leading ambitious teams. I'm leading high achieving business women and leaders, right? And I want to see that ambition happen, but it all, um, it all comes down to what it's fueled by, right? So your intuition is your fuel. If we were to make, make it really, really practical, what does an, an intuitive, ambitious day look like? It looks like it's the difference between waking up and checking your email or waking up and journaling. It's the difference between waking up um, frantic and running around the house trying to get the kids together versus having your things prepared the night before so that the day is calm. It's, it's simple choices, like what you feed your mind when you're driving the kids to school, right? Or wherever you're commuting to. Are you feeding your mind with things that are stretching your, your mindset and being more mindful? Or are you kind of just listening to the news on the radio or whatever? Not to say anything wrong with it, but it's really being intentional. Um, and that's something I absolutely love. For all the people who know Abraham Hicks, if you don't Google them, uh, they talk about segment intending. And so what happens Wait, when you say that phrase again, segment intending. Okay. That's what I thought. Segment intending. I just wanted to make yeah. sure I got it right. Okay. So the thing about blind, blind ambition is that it's a really fast pace, constantly going, you're going from one thing to another, to another, to another, because you're always chasing behind some type of accomplishment that you then attach to your self-worth. So when you're constantly going to the next, to the next, to the next, You're not intentional about what the next thing is. Segment intending allows you to take a mini pause and say, okay, now I'm getting ready to shift into, like after this podcast, it's time for me to shift into mommy mode. And instead of me just cutting off the podcast and running out of the office, I'm going to take a moment, wrap up and say, okay, how is this evening going to go? You know, we have a toddler at home and she has a fever right now. And I know that I'm going to have to get on mommy duty and it might be a little bit of a, a crazy night. But I'm preparing myself mentally and checking in with myself. What do I need to make sure that this is smooth? How can I take care of myself? Yeah, because you are at choice for how you show up. Absolutely. I'm, I'm listening to you talk about this. I think about that idea of it's are you living your life or is your life living you? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's something that sounds important around this into intuitive ambition that is all about putting yourself in that driver's seat to be a choice um, for what it is you want to accomplish, not necessarily are you chasing the dreams the world is dreaming up for you. Right. And even if you're chasing your own dreams that you've dreamed up for yourself, at what pace, Mm. at what risk, at what cost? Right. Sustainable pace, right? It's yes. another one of those agile <laughs> principles, right? We work at a pace that is sustainable in that we could do this indefinitely. It's one of the sort of downsides of it actually in Scrum, right? Still being the most popular method in, in the, our agile world, the sprint, because sprints are inherently yeah. short and very fast. Mm-hmm. And a sprint in and of itself is not sustainable for an yeah, right. indefinite period of time. So I, I like that you call that out, that what is another thing that we are at choice around is the pace at which we do these things. Yeah. And even if we were to do a sprint, right, let's take that as an example, right? Because I used to work at a startup, a tech startup. And so they would have like uh, the codathons and stuff, yeah. right? But they would never go and do a whole weekend of coding without making sure there was like food and snacks and you know, stretching breaks and everything else, right? Like they had the foundation, the fundamentals that they would need to be able to sustain that. And the the problem with blind ambition is that when you're, when you're blinded by just the goal, you forget about the basics, the Mm -hmm. tactical self-care. I'm not talking about bubble baths and vacations. I'm talking about how many people listening right now have sat at their desk and go, Oh my gosh, I forgot to eat lunch. And it's like three or four o'clock. 
right? Or the idea of waking up and journaling or having a morning routine, like having my coffee in peace without answering emails with my coffee. What in the hell? You know? Yeah. I, I'm thinking of the, a metaphor around technical debt, right? So many of us as agilists are in the software development space and technology products and how, right, software-based products can build technical debt that make our ability to pivot and adapt and do all of these things more harder. So it's like, what is that version of technical debt in our lives that we've yeah. inadvertently created for ourselves? And what is what do those good engineering practices look like for our life so that we can keep a, a bed of soil that's fertile for intuition to grow? And I we are mixing metaphors all over the place. I know, but I'm following <laughs> because I'm like, oh, that made me think of a conversation I just had with a client. Oh, it was mind blowing. So she shared with me that um, her mother got a high blood pressure diagnosis and the doctor said, but your body is completely functioning fine as if your blood pressure wasn't this high. Hmm. She had adapted, her body had adapted to that high blood pressure. And we drew a parallel because my client was also in a place of so much output, meaning doing it for her boss and her family and just just so much output that she was operating on extremely low reserves and didn't even realize it because she's been functioning like this for decades. Yeah. And that's the problem. And that's yeah. what I seek to do at the company is number one, to get give you get you aware of the fact that there are some basic fundamental needs that you have that you are so used to operating without. But then also once you're fueled and you you have everything you need to be sustainable, what's possible when you put ambition on top of that? Mm-hmm. Instead of ambition depleting you of, of the resources you need and you relating to that as normal. So many people lose their ambitions drive because they get victimized by ambition because they believe that ambition leads to burnout. And it's actually not that ambition leads to burnout. It's the, um, the lack of insight around what you need to fuel yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, there's something that I'm suddenly in touch with around privilege period yeah. privilege in this conversation yeah um is making the space to really start distinguishing between blind ambition and intuition and the way that that shows up for us is that only available to us that sort of have the privilege of doing this work like if you're also worried about like how am I going to pay my mortgage? Is my company going to lay me off? Right. There are things happening to my family because of, you know, politics happening where I live or war that is happening in my country. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. those are the realities real- that people are facing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I get it deeply. I work with um, a lot of diverse clients from a lot of different backgrounds um, and we're doing a lot around reprogramming a lot of childhood experiences, you know. And um, a lot of my clients who are highly ambitious, it comes from a place of survival, you know, mm-hmm. mine as well, where we have to continuously work really hard. <clears throat> we have to continuously work really hard in order to survive, Um And not to dismiss the, their real human experience. What we look at is, again, reuniting them with who they are despite their circumstances, right? Mm. Like, no matter where you are in life, you will have a certain level of worry, anxiety. And it's important for you to be able to have a moment, have a safe space to be able to connect with who you are as a being to hear what's next for you. Like it could be as, and, and, and this is, this is a tough one because I, I mean, we're not talking, we're talking theoretically. Right. And if I was talking to actually somebody in this space, the first thing I would do is start to look at how they relate to themselves. 
mm-hmm. because our environment will dictate how we relate to ourselves. And they may relate to themselves as someone who's always going to be in this position or doesn't really have very much possibility. And intuition cannot thrive in a place where there's not a lot of possibility. Yeah. And so whether it's therapy or whether it's coaching, um, that's the deeper inner work to look at how have I used my experience of life so far to draw certain conclusions about who I am and what's possible for me in my life. And from that space, what do I need to reframe so that I can start to hear my intuition guide me out of this circumstance? I truly believe that, yes, following your intuition is risky, but so many people who have taken huge risks to leave a war-torn country or to get themselves out of poverty or whatever the situation may be, they took a huge risk to get there. You know, my mother included. You know, we, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, the north side of Pittsburgh, which is not um, the best side. <laughs> we'll put it that way. And when I was four, she came down here on a whim because her friend said, hey, she mailed her cutout newspaper job ads and said, there's jobs down here. And my mother was a single mother with a four-year-old. And she said, okay, I'll come out here on a whim. And she did what she needed to do. But that was a huge risk. Yeah. But she did that because someone else or some experience showed her there's possibility somewhere else. And thank yeah. God she did because my life is completely different than my other family members. But that was her following an intuitive fit. That was yeah. her feeling like I need to get out of here. And then she got that confirmation. And so as a leader yeah. of your life, regardless of the situation you're in, I know that Honoring yourself, trying to carve out that space to identify what have I placed over my life that says that this is the finite finite result of my circumstances and how can I reframe that will open you up to be able to see more possibility and hear your intuition. Thank you, Kira, for that diversion <laughs> from our conversation. Because, I mean, I it hit my heart that I just it felt like something I wanted to ask you and I appreciate you going with me. Yeah, of course. Through that. It's real. Yeah. It, it also made me think about another topic that I know you want to explore today, which is, you know, personal and professional, right? Cause there's those of us that for whatever reason decide like you want to keep personal and professional, very separate. But one of the things like you, you see on LinkedIn more and more is personal is professional, yeah. right? You know, and that idea of bring our whole selves to work, um, creating the equality in the environment where people can do that and embrace the diversity and how all of us are different. Does, do ambition and intuition show up differently for us as we bring in that additional sort of axes of or additional lens to it, I guess, of the personal versus professional? Yeah. I mean, when I talk about this or, um, you know, I give trainings and seminars around this, there's always a difference in terms of when I say, what's your relationship to your ambition and your intuition? Um, most people have different different relationships to their intuition, professional versus personally, right? So high ambition professionally, personally, maybe not so much. And then with their intuition, a high intuition personally, because there isn't as much risk, they perceive it as not as much risk and that they can clean it up. Whereas professionally, the ultimate risk is losing your job. Yeah. I mean, like I think about the story yeah. you told about your mom, that yeah. was a, a, a intermix of professional and personal yeah. intuition going on there, right? It was her job and completely uprooting her life to go from Pittsburgh to Atlanta, right? Uh, Washington, so, or, oh, Washington, D.C. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Right. But like that was like that was a fully intermingled shift. Yeah. Um, but it's like. I guess what I'm hearing you say is like people will compartmentalize their intuition because of risk factor. Yeah. I mean, definitely for my mother, it was all personal. I would say, um, I think where she was, it was like, uh, she'd get a job, (laughs) but she wanted a better life for me and for herself. Right. So it was like, okay, there isn't the jobs in Pittsburgh that I want to do. Let's go down to DC. 
Um, here's the biggest thing. And when we talk about professional risk, and I'm not negating it, but as someone who lost her job after doing everything perfectly and just not being a good cultural fit, that was the, that was the biggest brick moment where I was like, you know what? The alignment to who I am is more important than the paycheck. And I think that's where we're going right now. That's why the great resignation is happening, right? People have this wake-up call to be like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. If I don't get to be who I am, then I don't want to work there. And so, you know, when we talk about this intuition piece and we talk about um, intuition professionally, and I say, okay, well, what happens if your intuition's wrong? And they say, oh, well, then I mess up the project or I, I disappoint my boss. Okay. And then what happens? Well, maybe I'll get written up. And then what happens? Cause I like to take people down the rabbit hole of doom and gloom. Cause yeah. like you don't die, you just lose your job. Right. And then yeah. you lose your job. Okay. Then what happens? Well, I get another job. Right. And you just brought your truth, the whole of you to a company where they either embraced it or not. And I think it, right now in this day and age too, it's holding companies accountable to say like, this is who I am. This is what we need. And you either get with it or I need to leave. Now that's privilege though, like you said, because not everyone can leave. But then you start working the plan backwards. Yep. What do you need to feel secure? What do you need to start making a plan? So many of us, I've seen it so many times where we will bring our intuition to work because we're afraid of getting fired, but yet won't update our resume or LinkedIn, won't engage our network, like oh, won't start building them. Yeah. I'm afraid if I update my LinkedIn, somebody I work with is going to see I've done it and they're going to accuse me of wanting another job. And then I'm going to be perceived to disloyal and they're going to shove me out anyway. Right. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's the spiral that happens. Right. And then we get into like a coaching conversation that says, and you should be updating your LinkedIn and resume all the time. Every performance review. Right. So again, though, it comes back to that age old philosophy of like, pick a job, stay in there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. The loyalty will pay off. But we know we're not in that environment anymore. But if you're being true to yourself, you're always engaging in your professional career so that. You're prepared for anything. I mean, so many people lost their jobs in COVID, whether they use their yeah. intuition or not. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that we need to understand is like every job is temporary, whether it's by your accord or someone else's yeah. and prepare for that. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's that theme of reunite in this because of what happened to all of us through the most intense periods of the pandemic, right? I don't want to say like when the pandemic was happening, because we are still We're impacted still by this, yeah. right? But the most intense proportions of it is we were all forced to slow down. We were at home. We were at lockdown. We reconnected more with who we were at humans evermore. And then now as thing, people are sometimes being forced or have those options of going back to work, yeah. we're having to reunite with who we are at work in this emerging post-pandemic phase or this pandemic normalization phase. Yeah. And maybe who we found out we were during the pandemic is not who we want to be or we don't want to go back to who we were before then. So it's reuniting with our jobs in different ways, reuniting with our colleagues who are maybe not the same people that they were before they went home on lockdown. They're not that same person anymore. So it's like, how do we greet each other to use a word that you mentioned earlier with grace, with empathy, with compassion, so that we can all figure out intuitively together who it is we want to be oh my gosh such a good question again I was just having this conversation with a client this week she has an opportunity to start a new position and she said I don't want to bring those old habits Mm -hmm. from my previous job into this new job and so I said okay you know what you don't want then what do you do want and oftentimes we know who we don't want to be. We know that we don't want to be in an environment, but we don't take a little moment to say, who do I want to reintroduce myself as? Yeah. Right. I am this, that, and that. And these are my boundaries. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important with all of this. Once you know who you are, what boundaries do you need to set? And how are you welcoming in other people? So intuitively, and this is a piece, I'm so glad you brought this up because I want to really challenge everyone 
to use their intuition in the moment, read the Zoom room or the real room, right? Like, please read the room. Please notice facial expressions. Please take a pause to just do a scan around. Take a pause for people who are typically quiet to be able to speak up. Like there needs to be a lot more space for humanity. And it's through the pauses. It's through active listening. It's being able to feel a buzz in your body that says, uh-oh, I don't know if Amy really liked that. Hey, Amy, how'd that land for you? Yeah. That's intuition in the moment. Mm-hmm. And giving Amy grace and space to say, hey, you know, I normally go with the flow, but this time, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. And honoring that. So again, it goes all the way back to like the human-centered approach yeah. around using your intuition as a spidey sense and being able to like co-create and be fluid with whoever shows up. But that only works if you're grounded in your own leadership and your own knowing. Otherwise you're triggered out the wazoo and then it all falls apart. Yeah. It's a Portia tongue is a a woman that has been on our show before. And she introduced me to the quote that I can never remember who said it. And if you're a regular listener of the show, you've probably heard me quote this 9,000 times already, but it's, you cannot give what you do not have. If you are not, if you haven't done that own work on yourself and have cultivated your ability to have a strong relationship, not just the acquaintance at the grocery store relationship with your own intuition, how can you hope to create an environment where that is an option for others? Yeah. And I also, something I say all the time around this topic, which I'm sure, you know, you're going to hear from me all the time is you you can always clean up a mess. Mm. And I feel like that is one of the biggest, scariest things about blind ambition is like, we got to get it perfect. We can't make a mess. You can always clean up a mess, but you have to be humble enough to do so. You put your foot in your mouth. You need to be able to go back and say, dang, Leslie, I really put my mouth on that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you cannot get comfortable with cleaning up your own messes, you're not going to thrive with building your relationship with your intuition because it's messy. Yeah. It just is. It's an experimentation. Yeah. So experimentation, right? I've kept you longer than I intended to. We're keeping our (laughs) listeners longer than I intended to. The um, experimentation is sort of inherently built into what we do as agilists. Is there a way we can embrace that natural experimentation mindset that we have to help better cultivate our own intuition? Oh my gosh. Yes. I love this. Okay. So this is the challenge for the listeners, right? Okay. So we're talking about strengthening your intuition. I want you to get a notebook or use the note feature in your phone. And for a week, I want you to track your intuitive hits, those hunches, right? Those moments where like, oh, that's interesting. Or that's a good idea. Or maybe I should, or do I need to call Tim? That kind of thing. Right. And then act on it within 48 to 72 hours and see what happens. Mm. The reason why I say 48 to 72 hours is because intuition is divine timing. Everything is aligned, right? So if you ever find yourself being one of those people who are like, oh, I'm in the right place at the right time, or, oh, that just worked out. What a great coincidence. That's proof that when you get the hit, everything is ready to fire right then. And sometimes when we overthink, we wait a week, we wait two weeks, and then we do the thing three weeks later and go, oh, I knew my intuition wasn't right. Well, the opportunity passed three weeks ago. So I just want you to practice with little small things, little small things for the next 48 to 72 hours. Even if you want to take a moment right now after this podcast, make a list of the intuitive hits you've had as you were listening to us and then say, okay, I'm going to act on these within the next two to three days and see what happens. And when things work out into your favor, you'll see that you can go from acquaintance to friend to lover and partner and spouse and married to your intuition forever. I love it. I love it. Kira, thank you so much for being with me today. I love this. this we could be here all day. Thank you for we having could. me. Such a you good conversation. You are welcome. Yes, it was. And I have one final question before we officially wrap up. Yes. Um, what are you geeking out on? Like as you, as an individual who's a professional, like what are you studying or reading or what podcasts are you listening to? What class are you taking? Like, how are you improving yourself as a professional? Okay. So <laughs> I'm all things woo. I'm so woo woo. It's hilarious. Um, I'm a law of attraction 
junkie. I just love it. So I already dropped Abraham Hicks. I listen to them every morning. Um, oh gosh, I'm reading all kinds of great books. I'm trying to think of how many books are on my nightstand right now. I love the You Are a Badass and Making Money by Jim, Jen Sincero. That's the number one. Um, uh, what else am I geeking out on? I feel like I'm geeking out on exactly what we we're talking about. Like I just absolutely love playing around with my intuition and seeing what I can create in the world and uh, seeing how to hone in on it even better and better. And then, you know, besides that, as a mother of a toddler, I'm geeking out on like Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> Coco Melon, yes, Play-Doh. <laughs> I will say, I love some Play-Doh. Play Challenge me to some Play-Doh. I can make anything out of Play-Doh. Well, I was going to say, there's, there's a little intuitiveness to that. Like, I think, you know, listeners might be like, oh, journaling so trendy and blah, blah, blah. But what if you just have like a, a seven minute Play-Doh making? Like what does your in- intuition tell you that you're like, and make it with Play-Doh in the I, morning? Like, it's just that, it's that pause that yeah. engaging your, your body and your brain in different sorts of ways. Like everyone's yeah. morning ritual for starting intentionally can be different. Like who are we to say it has to be journaling, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. People really do push back on me with the journaling a bit. Cause they're like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. I love to just yeah. free, right. But anything creative and fun. Yeah. Play yeah. for sure. <laughs> I love that. It makes me actually kind of want to go buy some. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Kira, thank you for just playing with me, uh, allowing our intuitions to guide this conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I truly appreciate it. Uh, And thank you for being our keynote at the conference this uh, summer. Truly, truly honored to have you involved with the Women in Agile organization. Oh my gosh. I am just so honored as well. This has been amazing. And um, just thank you for the insights that you shared today too. You really got me thinking in a completely different way and added so much to the conversation. Oh, that's that's a giant compliment. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And as always, you can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations.